We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, March 7th. Nick Whalen here, not with James Anderson. We have, I think, fully lost James now to baseball uh, as, as opening day approaches. Alex Barutha is here with me. Uh, we've done a number of pods together over the years. Not for a while, though. Uh, I no. think probably not since like early in the season, if that. I think we maybe did a couple early, yeah, early on. Definitely then, over the summer, yeah. but... Yeah, you've uh, the way our schedules work with news coverage. We were really only in the office together, like two and a half days a week. Yeah, uh, but glad to be back. A lot to discuss. Um, a certain player for the Los Angeles Lakers passed a certain Washington Wizard last night on the all-time scoring list. Uh, I think that's kind of what's dominated the NBA news cycle these last twelve hours or so. LeBron now fourth all-time in scoring. 
Um, should be on pace to pass Kobe Bryant sometime next season. That'll obviously be very interesting. Be controversial. Carl <laughs> um, Malone, who's the number two all-time scorer, of course, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, firmly in sight. Um, if if LeBron wants, I think he can become the all-time leading scorer. Right? It's just oh, a yeah. matter of like, will he play long enough? Which, when you start to talk about, you know, compiling records, totals, records rather than per game averages, things like that. It really is about longevity. I mean, you, you, Michael Jordan did it in fewer seasons than LeBron did. Right. But LeBron did it on over 1,000 fewer shots. Right. Um, so you can kind of debate, I guess, which, which of those is more impressive. Um, but when you start moving into, you know, the top five on all-time leaderboards like this, a lot of it is, is longevity. You know, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played about as much as anybody. I mean, Carl Malone obviously, you know, finished up with some really memorable times. Uh, as a member of the Los Angeles Lakers, right. when he was wearing those dad-ass shoes that had the POW MIA flag on them. Oh, wow. Um, That's kind of my lasting memory of Carl of Malone. Um, but do you, do you think LeBron plays long enough to, to end up passing Kareem? I, I feel like all indications at this point are, are that he will, but when you see how this season has gone, um, it, it kind of makes you, you know, question... You know, maybe not not that not that I'm suggesting LeBron's just going to give up and and quit on the Lakers in two years, but <laughs> you know, when I, I think it seemed like everything was going to go a lot more smoothly this time last year or even three months ago than than it does right now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you know it's it's really impressive that he's gotten this far while not necessarily being known as a scorer. I mean, that's part of it, but honestly, I mean, my my feeling about LeBron is that his goals after winning the championship in Cleveland were to play to get the all-time scoring record like i don't think he's ever come out and said that that's his goal but i'm pretty sure like that's what he wants to do uh (laughs) he tweeted about it before the game which was really odd right like he was what 13 points away i think going into last night and he tweeted like an hour before the game like this is going to be special like that's that's just a weird thing to do right i i think it is especially with the team and the place that they are it's not a guarantee no but i think he the idea for him to simultaneously become the all-time leading scorer in NBA history and mm-hmm. maybe even play when his son is in the league. I still yeah. think that's a huge part of it, especially now that the the eligibility rules are going to change so high schoolers can come in. Yeah. Um that, you know, so now that situation can happen a year earlier than it would have otherwise. Do you think this is why LeBron got on the players union years ago with with Chris Paul is he had the foresight because he knew he needed to get his son into the league a year earlier to make this happen. Uh, that's a I do like that conspiracy theory. Um, kind of you know kind of aligns saying. with everything that yeah that we know about LeBron. So he's he's just over six thousand points away from Kareem. He is six thousand and seventy seven points from passing him. He's averaged right around two thousand points per season. This year it's going to come in at probably his fewest ever. He's at just under thirteen hundred right now. And right before we started recording, we got news from. Chris Haynes at Yahoo that LeBron's minutes are going to start being limited. He's going to start sitting out back-to-backs, none of which is surprising. I mean, with the way the schedule works, like the back-to-back thing sounds drastic, but I haven't looked, but I would guess the Lakers have like two or maybe three back-to-backs left. I mean, they only have like 18 games remaining. Um, And obviously the league has cut down on those this year, but they're going to limit him to 28 to 32 minutes a game, which is still a lot to me. And, And LeBron himself has always said this, that like there's no difference to him between you know, I think his minutes were always such a big deal, especially these last few Cleveland years. Like he's always said, if I play 32 minutes, I feel the same as a, you know, after the game as if I played 38 minutes. So it's kind of strange that they're, you know, they're going to basically chip off four or five minutes a night. And I guess hopefully that pays dividends in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I think they still want people to come to games. I, th- I think that matters. I mean, right. if LeBron's not playing, like, you know, I want to say there's no reason to go to a Laker game, but 
it's kind of yeah. it's it's not as interesting anymore and I mean, yeah, you you don't want to completely sit LeBron or only play him like twenty minutes or eighteen minutes because then you kind of do get into a situation where you are kind of you are messing with his with his stats, with his records, which clearly matter to him uh, at this point. So, yeah, I mean, if he if he never got hurt, he would have reached two thousand points because he's mm-hmm. averaging the same essentially the same amount of points as he did last year, and um, you know, I mean, they're playing a faster pace offense, so it's easier right. for him to do that sort of a thing but i don't know i think he could still average 20 25 he could still average 25 points a game only playing 30 right. minutes like so i do think the the reports of lebron james demise have been a little bit exaggerated uh um, right especially like these past couple of days like when they lost to the, you know they had the bad loss to the pelicans the bad loss to the suns and then you know the real real crusher was losing to the clippers you know i mean I, they were all essentially must wins but that was the must win of all must wins and you know, that was basically what eliminated them from playoff contention. But all of the headlines you see the next day are, you know, there's Twitter polls going around. Is LeBron still the best player in the league? You know, what, is, what does missing the playoffs mean for his legacy? Like, that, those are all fair questions. But I also don't think he, as someone who's watched a lot of Lakers games, you have as well. They're on national TV seemingly three times a week right now. I don't think he looks any different as a player, to be honest. Like, I don't think he's necessarily diminished. I think it's all, like, mindset, effort. You know, he said he's going to engage playoff mode. That clearly has not happened. You know, I think what if he really, really was locked in, wouldn't we see the LeBron that we saw in the 2015 playoffs? You know, the finals right. when it was him and Delhi and Jr. and basically a skeleton crew in Cleveland. Like, I think that's kind of what I thought we would get out of the All Star break. You know, he would kind of push Kuzma and, and Ingram aside, and instead, it's just been a lot of passive basketball. I mean, he's still getting his 25 to 30 points, his eight rebounds, his eight assists, but it's not in a way that really you know, makes you say, wow, LeBron's taking over this game. Right. So to me, like, I, I don't really, I'm not too worried about him going forward. Like all of a sudden he's hit this wall coming off the injury. Like he looks just as explosive, just as athletic. The decision-making is still there. Um, to me, it's just like a hundred percent lack of effort. And, and honestly that, that, that ends up falling on LeBron more than anybody. You know, I, I think you can point fingers at Luke Walton or teammates or the front office, but LeBron has made it work with adverse situations in the past. And to his credit, he probably didn't think he would be in this situation again in LA. Um, but just watching him, you know, it, it's all, it's all mental, I think. Yeah. And I, I, maybe we see more clips of him, like having really poor body language with his teammates and like yelling at people for his blown assignments occasionally, just because he's in right. LA. He's always done that. He's always done that. Always. And it's just, you know, I think more people, see that now because he's a laker and more mm-hmm. people watch the games on national tv and but yeah i mean just since the all-star break he's averaging essentially 29 points 10 assists on 51 percent shooting which is yeah. incredible the fact that we can sit here and say yeah he's not really trying that hard and he's averaging mm-hmm. like 30 and 10 right um with you know essentially nine rebounds is is crazy but um yeah i just it's hard because you you want to you know you you look at him play especially defense you can say well he's not trying that hard but how like you you're they're playing him almost 40 minutes a night the lakers are like how much can we expect of 34 year old lebron right. james who's coming off a 4000 minute season last yep. year if you include the playoffs to be able to like play lockdown defense every single night and right. post a 20 point triple double well i think that in a lot of ways speaks to you know how we're comparing him at this point like we're not even comparing him to 
normal players, you know, at, at age 34. Right, like, right. <clears throat> we're asking the question, as LeBron is 34 years old, is he still the best player in the world? Like, most players when they're 34 are starting to, you know, look at, uh, maybe I should start latching onto a contender. For here. A maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, you kind of go into, like, your Ray Allen heat phase yes. of your career. Um I mean, I'm, Kobe Bryant still, I'm on, on his page right now, still a very effective player, you know, by his standards at, at age 34. That was a year before the Achilles tear. Mm. Um, but even at that point, like, no one was looking at, at Kobe Bryant in 2012-13 and asking, is he, is he still, you know, the best player in the league? Yeah, like, he right. was well out of the discussion at that point. The Lakers were well on their way to being out of relevancy by the 2013 playoffs. Yeah. Um, I don't even think they made the playoffs in that year. Um, so, I mean, the fact that LeBron is still in the conversation at this age, I, I think, does say a lot. And you're basically comparing him to Jordan and that's it. You know, the, the yeah. most other players at 34, you know, are, are at a whole different phase in their career, but uh, still a, a strange, strange situation that this, you know, it looked like everything was going to work out at least fairly well. I mean, I, I was never of the belief that this was a serious title contender or even a serious like Western conference finals contender. Um, but before the all-star break, before the injury, right when they had beaten golden state on Christmas day, it at least looked like they would be, in contention in the West, you know, I, I yeah. think they would maybe bow out to Houston or OKC or eventually Golden State, and it wouldn't be considered a failure. But for things to switch this drastically is just nothing that I that I ever saw coming. And and I asked in our Week Twenty One NBA Roundtable, which is mm-hmm. up on the site right now, who is most to blame for this entire situation? Not just where the Lakers are right now, but you know, going all the way back to July first and looking ahead, you know, to this coming summer, where the Lakers are as a whole. Is it LeBron? Is it the other players on this team, the young players who haven't quite developed? Or is it a combination of, you know, management and coaching? I mean, I I still don't know exactly how I feel about Luke Walton. He's been in so many I feel like he's been in th- this is such a drastically different situation than he was thrown into before. So it's hard for me to even gauge, you know, his coaching ability, I guess necessarily in a vacuum. So I maybe I default to the front office, but you know, I think I think the blueprint for LeBron James teams have been pretty obvious throughout the years. You just put a bunch of competent players on the floor, three point shooting, and it generally works. I mean, people were calling the they signed Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee. People were referring to this team as the meme team. Like we knew yeah. early on that this team was ridiculous. Um and so, you know, I I can I can understand the Rondo signing just to have like another competent veteran on the team. Um you know, JaVale, it's like, okay. I mean, he's, he's you know, been part of a championship team before, um, can give you 20 solid minutes. You know, not ideal, but you figure LeBron can can help him be better. But, yeah, just to not get um, the type of shooting you need LeBron James, you need around LeBron James in the building, um, it's, yeah, it's, I, I feel like it, putting the blame on management makes the most sense. I, I think... I think the way that LeBron has reacted to this team can be traced back to management. You know, like yeah. they're, they were getting killed for these signings back in July. And, it, you know, it almost got to the point where they kind of felt like they had to defend themselves. And it was, you know, we know what we're doing. That's kind of what they kept saying. We know what we're doing. Uh, we're getting playmakers for, you know, to help LeBron when he's not on the court. Like, I think their whole idea was the same idea that Miami had, the same idea that Cleveland had the second time was we want to make things easy on LeBron. We want him to be the offensive hub, but we don't want him to have to control everything. And what, three games into the year? I think we were right back to where we were for the last few years in Cleveland, where LeBron has to run everything if they want to win games. And like you said, they didn't put the pieces around him to do that. You know, like he's proven that he can be, you know, he can lead a, a basically a G League level team, like like the Cavs were last year, half of that roster. As long as some of those guys can spot up and some of those guys can rebound, 
they're going to be just good enough. And in that case, you know, good enough to go through a weak Eastern conference and get to the finals when he's kicking out to Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson and Contavious Coldwell Pope, it doesn't work. And I think if, even if you want to take the defense, take to the defense of, of magic and Palinka and say, okay, you guys went, you knew you weren't getting shooting. You wanted to go get playmaking. LeBron misses 20 games. That's when these guys who are supposed to be great playmakers should be, you know, stepping up in LeBron's place. And the opposite happens. They go from what fourth to 10th in the Western conference while he's out. Yeah. And I, I, this is the main argument I think for, I mean, why Kyrie Irving was so important for LeBron during the Cleveland days was, you know, he was a guy who could hit spot of threes if he needed him too. but if LeBron needed a breather, Kyrie Irving was an actual second option who could handle the ball, um, cross people over, make a bucket, you know, make, just make things happen. And like, sure. Rondo's a, a great playmaker and everything but no other team is like gonna be oh we got a game plan for when you know lebron steps back and you know the ball's in rondo's hands or like you know ingram's been stepping up lately and i think maybe there was some hope that ingram would like himself be that guy because i think a lot of people were high on ingram coming into the season i thought he would have a good year um he's turning it up now but earlier wasn't great it wasn't obviously going to be lonzo ball i don't think anybody thought lonzo ball was going to be that guy so shouldn't have if they did Right. So I think there was some hope that Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma would be the, like, you know, the Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love of this team. But that's um, that's far from how it turned out to be. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to put the burden on those guys because, like you said, oh, they have, Ingram especially has played well. Like, I don't, I don't think, you know, people who have really watched Ingram and evaluated Ingram and know that he's not Kevin Durant 2.0, like, he's been pretty good for the last, like, two months. You know, he hasn't yeah. been you know, a, an all-star caliber second option, but you know, it was, it was misguided. If you ever thought that's what he was going to be like, he's been about what you'd expect. I think like, I don't think you look at Brandon Ingram and say, if you played better, we'd be in the playoffs right now. And, you know, Kuzma, I, I think gets sometimes a little more credit than he deserves because you look at the percentages and they're, you know, you, he'll have games where he'll go and he'll go six of nine from three. And you think like, wow, this guy could be an all-star someday. He <laughs> rebounds, he, you know, he's really athletic, but then you look and he's shooting, you know, 33% from three on the year. So I mean, I think if you're doling out blame, it has to start with management. I mean, like you said, the signings, you know, we've like as the first point that you made was if you put semi-competent people around LeBron James, you're going to be a pretty good team. You know, a team that wins at least 48 games and they, they completely failed to do that, both from a superstar perspective and even more egregiously, a role player perspective. I mean, you can you can talk about not re-signing Brooke Lopez. Like to me, that's minuscule. Like you know, the Lopez thing could go either way. You know, I, I don't think anybody was killing them for not signing Lopez at the time, but given who was available and to spend the money the way they spent that money, um, I, I just, I don't, other than LeBron's injury, which is, I think the number one factor here, um, you know, management is, is a very close second. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do think LeBron's injury, you have to consider mm-hmm. that because now the the team leader in total minutes play is Kyle Kuzma. And it's like, do you think a Kyle Kuzma, you know, yeah. someone tells you, well, a team with Kyle Kuzma as the leading minutes guy mm-hmm. be a playoff team, you'd probably say no. So on, on the low post, I know you listened to this, um, I think the latest episode with, with Kevin Arnovitz, they, Zach Lowe brought up a point asking, like, does it matter that LeBron goes to the West and all of a sudden he can't make the playoffs? Right. I think that's a kind of a ridiculous point, to be honest. I, I think, one, this team was well on course to make the playoffs before the injury, um and two I don't, I don't think it's fair to look back at his last you know 15 years essentially of his career and say eh maybe he wouldn't have been as good if he played here you know the whole time I don't think that's fair whatsoever like I, I think in any other year you know with with semi-competent management with 
you know, LeBron being his usual 75 plus game self, that's not even a conversation. Um, and I, I don't, I guess I, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I, I don't think this necessarily like impacts, um, you know, maybe it impacts his longer term legacy, you know, missing the playoffs after all of the fanfare that they put into this whole LeBron to LA thing. Uh, but to me, it doesn't call into question anything that he's accomplished in the East in the past. No, I don't think so. And um, I was just, I looked this up earlier, but I wanted to do it again. The Lakers are nine and 12 against Eastern Conference teams. So the argument that yeah. they, if the, if this team was in the East, you know, they would be right. uh, so much higher in the standings. They have a losing record against teams in the East. Um, so I'm sure, like, it's an interesting, like, it's a point worth bringing up, but I also don't think that it's worth speculating that heavily over and saying like yeah. lebron was only doing what he was doing i maybe you can make the argument that he went to eight straight finals because he was in the east sure i but, think that's fair yeah but at the same time i don't think i mean once he got to those finals i mean he has i think he has three titles um correct so i mean it's he's still one of the greatest players ever okay great news if you're looking to get into daily fantasy sports we at rotowire have partnered with fanduel.com one of our long-term partners to bring you a free six-month subscription to rotowire.com. It's as easy as going to fanduel.com slash rotowire dash sub. That's fanduel.com slash rotowire, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E dash sub. And you just sign up for a new account on that page and make a deposit of at least $10. That will be your ticket to get over $50 in value. $50, Alex. It's several dollars from the Rotowire website. You get a free six months of access to all of our tools and sports. That includes our DFS optimizers, weekly rankings, premium articles, full season draft software, and much, much more. You get all that for $10, and you can use that money to enter contests on FanDuel. We're excited to bring you this deal once again this season, and if you want access right away, go to fanduel.com slash rotowire dash sub. Just follow the instructions on that page. One more time, it is fanduel.com slash rotowire dash sub. Okay, so the Detroit Pistons, um, they've won 10 out of 12. They are suddenly in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. I am very hesitant to believe that this team is, you know, truly dangerous when you start looking ahead to the playoffs. But since February 1st, they have the best net rating in the league. They have the best offensive rating in the league. Um, And my question to you, have they surpassed the Brooklyn Nets as the team that if you're Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly, Boston, even Indiana – have they surpassed Brooklyn as the team that you maybe want to avoid in round one? I think so, just because of the top-end talent. Um, you know, Brooklyn does not have as much playoff experience, and I do think that matters. Um, just Blake Griffin's been in the playoffs basically his entire career. Um, you know, Andre Drummond is, you know, for for all of his faults, is a great you know offensive rebounder, gets a team more possessions. He's a tough guy to play against. And when Reggie Jackson you know is putting things together like he is now um they are they are a team that is you know will challenge um will challenge you in the playoffs and i honestly i think you know they really went on this run once they signed wayne ellington um which i know is weird to say but uh, well our our coworker shannon who you host with tomorrow actually is convinced that the return of ish smith from injury is what's actually kick-started this i've also heard shannon say ish smith is like horrible yeah. So I'm not really sure what the um some anecdotal you know, the, evidence at best. Yeah, exactly. But no, I mean I 
I'm kind of with you where this team looked so average for so long. And even with this, you know, 10 out of 12 run that they're on, they're still only one game over 500. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they looked dead in the water uh, a couple of weeks before the all-star break. I mean, they were 22 and 29. They just got blown out by the Clippers. Um, you know, Milwaukee is, has owned them a couple times this year. And, you know, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs now the, the way that things shake out. I mean, you have the Pistons at six, you have Brooklyn at seven, um the Pistons you know win that one by virtue of tiebreaker right now then the Heat at eight and if you look at nine uh Orlando and Charlotte are tied and they're you know three and a half back of of Detroit so barring a major collapse you know I I don't know that a a team like Orlando or Charlotte are good enough to really go on the type of run that they need to go on to sneak in um I think I'd still rather play Detroit than Brooklyn though Brooklyn seems a little scrappier it seems like they're a little more confident yeah I, I think Detroit you could argue that Detroit has probably the best player between those two and Blake Griffin. And on certain nights, you know, like you said, Andre Drummond is an extremely tough guy to match up with. Brooklyn doesn't have that type of player. Right. Um, but I think they're deeper. I think they're, I think so they're a little more versatile. I yeah. think they have better shooters. Um, and I, I think they're, they're probably better coach, not a knock on Dwayne Casey, but That's you know, coach with, of the in year terms of, of in, Casey. right. Reigning coach of the year. Um, it, I don't know. It, it just seems like Brooklyn is, is, or Kenny Atkinson has done more to maximize that talent in Brooklyn than, than Dwayne Casey has in Detroit. And granted, there isn't a ton of high-end talent on that team when you get beyond the top two guys. The other thing, when you talk about this run, it started with a win at home against Denver on February 4th. The other wins uh, in the stretch, the Knicks twice, the Wizards, the Hawks, the Heat, the Pacers, the Cavs, the Raptors without Kawhi, and then Minnesota last night. So you're really only looking at like one and a half, you know, truly good wins. And the losses in there are to Boston and San Antonio, both on the road. Yeah. I mean, you have to, we have to give some credit for just, I mean, winning 10 out of 12 games, no matter who you play is pretty impressive. There are a lot of teams that just lose to other just bad teams. Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, my, my main argument, like you mentioned, uh, was just, the top end talent on Detroit is better, but I do agree with you that Brooklyn, relative to their talent and their record, is way better coached, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, we also have to give some credit to D'Angelo Russell, who's turned into a legitimate All Star in the East. Uh, and you know, you have they have a good center rotation like Ed Davis and and Jared Allen. They're making that work. Um, certain guys float in and out of relevancy, which is, I guess, maybe my what concerns me about Brooklyn you know as a formidable team there will be some weeks where Damari Carroll like is he even on the team and then there's other weeks where he's scoring 20 points a game in 20 minutes um but if you know the main thing for them is if they if Spencer Dinwiddie is completely healthy if Karis LeVert is completely healthy I think a lot of people forgot about how well he was playing he's been Um, good since coming back too both both of those guys have not really missed a beat you know after long injury absences yeah, and you know they've gotten good contributions from like Rodion's Kuruks, um, and you know between him and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I suppose they have a power forward situation. Hollis Jefferson is—I don't know what's going on with him. Like he—he'll play five minutes one night, twenty-three the next, and then be a DNP the next three. Like I—I I don't know what his future is. I have no team. feel for him as a player. No, <clears throat> I feel like I, I think he's a—he seems like a small forward trapped playing power forward right but i'm also not entirely sure like he's also not a three-point shooter right when I mean, he can't really handle it can't really yeah. <laughs> no he's i mean he's kind of the word tweener like you don't really hear that much anymore with how the nba works but he's kind of one of the one of the last remaining tweeners in the nba 
Yeah, he is. And, I mean, he was a guy who was drafted 23rd overall. Like, yeah. I think a lot of people were. He was getting a lot of minutes for a while because of the Nets situation. Right. But, you know, expecting him to potentially flame out wouldn't be mm-hmm. crazy. Uh, another bad team. Significantly worse team than Detroit. We'll give him that. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have won three straight. Another right. win last night. Devin Booker goes for 41 uh, as they beat New York at home. They also beat the Lakers last weekend, which... I don't even know if that's like an impressive win at this point. Like to, those teams are like on par right now. Uh, but the the really impressive win was beating Milwaukee uh, at yep. full strength. You know, Giannis, I think had missed the previous game, but he played, you know, his regular complement of minutes. They had no injuries, um, you know, other than George Hill in that game. So they beat a full strength Milwaukee team, handing them their sec, their uh, first consecutive losses, I guess is the way to say that of the entire season um you know last night's win not all that impressive you know neither of those teams probably wanted to win that game but to me when you look at you know there's been four or five teams that you could group together uh this entire year as you know the legitimate unquestioned bottom five and those would be new york cleveland phoenix chicago and then to a slightly lesser degree atlanta which is the only of those teams that's in the 20s in terms of wins then you jump up to you know teams like dallas memphis washington um but of those bottom five Phoenix and Chicago, I think, stand out as having the most talent. You know, it's obviously not translating to wins, but you like a lot of the individual pieces. And, and Phoenix in particular, it it does seem like they, they've they underachieved these last few years. Um, you know, I mean, drafting poorly has, has obviously had a lot to do with that. But, I mean, Devin Booker is, is scoring and putting up all-star-like numbers. If he was in the East, he probably would have been an all-star these last two years. Oh, yeah. DeAndre Ayton is on pace to be the third player since 2000 to average 16 and 10 as a rookie, which, you know, maybe 16 and 10 isn't what it used to be, but that still means something. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you, you, even looking at their role players, like guys like McCall Bridges, um, you know, Josh Jackson, who's been disappointing. Um, You know, they traded for Tyler Johnson, TJ Warren, when he's healthy has has been fine. Like there's, it's not a disastrous roster. Um, And going back to that, that low post episode that I referenced earlier, like, you know, for all the bad things that have that this franchise has committed, you know, in terms of drafting Marquise Chris, drafting Dragon Bender, drafting Alex Len, you know, the ownership issues that they've had, they fired their GM the day before the regular season, they've cycled <laughs> through coaches like crazy. For all that to happen and to still have two really good assets in Booker and Aiton, to have probably a top three pick coming this year, and still have some role players, some young role players who you can either develop or trade before they're worth, you know, before you have to basically give up nothing for them it could be worse you know they're yeah. still not winning a lot of games a lot of people aren't coming to the games but at least you have a core in place which doesn't really make sense with how this team has been built yeah i mean ironically devin booker is was the 13th overall pick like they whiffed on a bunch right. of the exactly. top end picks and then end up with with devin booker um and yeah pretty much all the talent that you just named is under 23 years old or i guess 23 years old tj warren's in that group he's 25 but even he he's been out for a while because of an injury but you know, he was having, I mean, he was shooting 43% from three this year on four attempts a game out of nowhere. I, he was shooting like 20% for his career before that. And yeah, the, basically the combination of, of Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden is, you know, arguably it's kind of the question of, would you rather have that or maybe the Trey Young, John Collins combo? Right. Um, You know, but the thing that, uh, and, and getting Kelly Oubre in that trade with Washington for Trevor Ariza was a steal, an yes. absolute steal. Um, maybe that's more incompetence by Washington. I mean, they never should have signed a reason in the first place, obviously. Right. But to be able to flip him for 
you know, I mean, at the time, Kelly Oubre's stock was stock probably was about low. as low as it's been. And, you know, I think Washington, to me, the fact that they traded him signaled that they weren't interested in re-signing him. Right. So I guess for Washington, it was, you know, we'll, we'll just get something back instead of letting him walk. But he's been really, really good since coming to Phoenix. I mean, the outside shot is still an issue. He's taking over five threes a game and he's shooting 32%, which is not great. Um, but he's he's kind of turned into like a hustle guy. You know, against the yeah. Bucks, I think he had like 10 or 12 rebounds in that game. He was all around the rim. Um, and he's averaging 16 and five in, in 35 games since coming to Phoenix. So he's at least looking like somebody, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be crazy to re-sign Kelly Oubre to a two or three year deal this summer. No, I, I don't think so. Um, and yeah, I, it, it's an interesting young car. Like I'm, I'm pretty high on bridges. Um, you know, he's got a great three point shot. Isn't a guy who necessarily needs the ball. Great defender. Um, the, the thing that sticks out to me when I, when I look at some of these guys is DeAndre Ayton is only taking 2.8 free throws a game yeah yeah that's kind of the the elephant in the room i think with him like he, he he's made strides defensively that was kind of the big issue and you can still look at his numbers and say okay he's averaging fewer than you know two steals and blocks per game which is not great for a guy who's as as athletic as he is and as young as he is but yeah the lack of free throw attempts you know he was he shot threes too at arizona at a reasonable clip you know he wasn't going to come in and and you know be Al Horford right away or anything but the fact that that's not been a part of his game whatsoever is also a little concerning I figured he'd take one a game in the pros yeah, I can't remember what we projected him for but I thought definitely he'd... not four <laughs> and that's what he's at right now he's over four um and yeah I mean so I I think I looked up you know some other big time rookie centers like Dwight Howard Anthony Davis both those guys I think were around five free throw attempts a game in their yeah. rookie year so you know not not that DeAndre Ayton's Dwight Howard or anything like that they're not really similar players but at the same time, yeah, the especially because he's a good free throw shooter. Right. I mean, he's shooting seventy five percent on his free throws. Mm-hmm. You want him to be as aggressive as possible. You know, when he gets a rebound, go up hard. When he roll the rim, try to draw contact because that's. Yeah, I mean, that's such a useful skill when you're a big man. You shoot seventy five percent. So I'm hopefully that will correct itself. He's only twenty years old, I think, or this is age twenty season. Um, yeah, he's twenty years old. So obviously, he's got plenty of time and. Uh, I think yeah I think the Suns core is, is interesting going forward it'll be it's I'm a little concerned that they're going to lock themselves into something like they might lock themselves into too many of these guys like they are they have a commitment to TJ Warren what and if they lock in Cal- Kelly Oubre to some big deal then they well, and they know they and Bridges still have Jackson Bridges you know you're gonna have to pay Aiden so yeah I mean that's long enough down the road I and think. that's fine but yeah they definitely have a surplus of wings right now right and i think they're finding it difficult to as any team has probably found this that you can't develop four wings so we're all 25 <laughs> or younger at once you know I, I think it's kind of it's going to hurt josh jackson in the long term um i thought it was interesting that you know zach Lowe mentioned that that's executives or basketball people had told him you know if josh jackson was on our organization he would be a completely different player he'd be so much better yeah i mean i believe that i also his his kind of the way his first two years have gone, if you look back, is like super predictable. Like I, I had high hopes for Josh Jackson. I know James really liked him a lot. Um, but it's, I mean, he's basically the same player that he was at Kansas. And it means wildly inconsistent shooting mixed in with a few wow moments. You know, he's been okay on D, but he you know still can't really handle the ball. Uh, so I don't really know what becomes of him. You know, like to me, who would you rather have for the next five years, like Bridges or Josh Jackson? Oh, Bridges. Right. So I don't. So does that mean like you just give up on Jackson? Do you keep him around as this like 18 minutes a night guy who's just a disappointment off the bench? Like, I don't I don't know. 
you know, he's the highest draft pick of all these guys except for Aiton. You know, what what's kind of the plan with that with a guy with that pedigree and who's still, you know, super young? Was he twenty one? Yeah. Um I yeah, it was weird. I think early in the season we were we were writing up some like team previews and I was looking at like Josh Jackson's college pedigree compared to Mikael Bridges' college pedigree and I was like, wait, is like Bridges is he better than Josh Jackson? I was like very concerned right out of the gate. Um, but yeah, I mean, not that he shouldn't have been drafted relatively high or in the lottery or anything, but taking him at four, Darren Fox was still on the board. Jonathan Isaac was still on the board. Markinen was still on the board. Yeah. Dennis Smith still on the board. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a whiff there to me. I I think it might be worse to not take Fox over Jackson than not take Doncic over Aiden. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah, Doncic probably. is the best player of those four, no debate. But I think the gap between like peak Aiton and peak Doncic will be smaller than peak Fox and peak Jackson. And given positional need, I mean the Suns that's true literally fired that their LDS. GM because he couldn't get a point guard, and they passed on that that perfect opportunity to get said point guard. Right when they already had wings. Um, nothing. Yeah, like I said, nothing they've done has made sense, and we can <laughs> pinpoint all these as like five or six just like horrific decisions. And yet, if they if they get Zion Williamson. You know, a Aiton, Zion. That's a nice team. Booker, Bridges, and then free agent point guard, maybe Terry Rozier. Like, all of a sudden, that team, you know, is kind of next year's Kings. I think so. Maybe yeah. better on paper. I would watch those games. Like, that's what I would do. I mean, I'd that's watch the biggest, any game yeah, that's Zion The most you can say about them is I would watch that basketball <laughs> team, which is not what you want to say now. Um, you know who'd be, who Mikael Bridges would be really good with? Philadelphia. He would be the team that drafted him and yes. then traded him. You know the team that is now giving big minutes on the wing to Jonathan Simmons and who who else do they even have right now? Do they get do they get James Ennis? I think they have James Ennis. Yeah, yeah give it. Mike Scott's getting a lot of time. Yeah, um, but, probably a little too much time. Yeah, I mean it's that's a hard trade to grade because Zaire Smith. Was they like, almost killed Zaire Smith. He was 160 pounds at one point. Yeah, um, and he's not going to play till next year. No. So. I mean, we'll see um, how that turns out, but yeah, Mikel Branches would be a huge help. For I just them. never, I never understood that at all. It, it, I mean, there was obviously the story on draft night about you know Mikel Bridges being from Philly. His mom right. works yes. for the team. Like, Why would they that do that? Should, then? Not that you should be basing your draft picks on you know your employees' kids, but it made so much sense. You know, even even back then when there was all this Fultz optimism, like they they still needed that guy. Every team in the league needs a Mikel Bridges. Yes, you, who wouldn't want a twenty-two year old who plays great defense and can knock down threes? And, you know, come the trade deadline after the Butler deal, they needed that more than ever. And, you know, the guy they traded him for, they're, they're getting literally nothing out of. And, I mean, I hope Zaire Smith ends up being really good. But, I mean, what are the chances that he is a significantly better player than McCall Bridges in the next, like, three years? Probably not all that good. I don't think so, no. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about, you know, these other, other bad teams. Um, which, which, like, young core would you take going forward before we move on? You know, I I mean, I've been really partial to the Bulls core for a long time. Um, you know, I, I I like marketing. Levine is interesting to me. I was relatively high on Chris Dunn. Now it's kind of a – he hasn't progressed in the way that you would hope. Um, Wendell Carter Jr. is really nice. But it's hard for me to not want to take Trey Young and John Collins just based on pure upside at this point just because I feel like both of those guys – I was pretty low on Trey Young. But at this point, I feel like him and John Collins are – more of locks than almost anybody else on any of these teams to be tr- like 
all NBA players. I almost have more of a question mark, and I was really low on Trey Young, as you're well aware. I almost have more question marks about like what Collins' long-term ceiling is. Like I, he's, he's averaging I, he's, twenty and ten right, right now. He's already yeah. really good, but you know, there's still question marks about like his what, what's his like upside defensively. You know, is what'll he? His like, block what is his archetype? I guess like who who do you like? What all-star level player do you see him turning into? I'm not sure. That's a that's a tough question. I mean, I think the hope was eventually you maybe could bulk up and become a five. Yeah, and I, then be I a kind of a three. That... I mean, he's shooting seventy three or thirty seven percent from three right. right now, um, which is which is significant. Yeah, you know, I think he needs to be around the rim because last year he played more center and averaged one point six blocks per thirty six. Now he's essentially on the wing because he's a power forward, and that's what power forwards do now averaging 0.5 blocks per 36 minutes but i can't think of a great comparison for john collins but i figure if you can average you know 20 and 10 on like i mean his true shooting percentage is 64 yeah i mean what does he have from the line this year uh free throw line 77 i yeah so he's 21 years old i that that almost feels like can't miss to me yeah i mean if this is his floor then he's already a really good player borderline all-star in the east Mm -hmm. would you rather have him or marketing because Mark, I mean, Markkinen's last month, month and a half has been up there with with anybody who's you know twenty three and under. Yeah, um, that's a really tough call, actually. I mean, I feel like Markkinen's three point stroke is is kind of the upside there, but I'm not sure about yeah. his defense. I think right now I still want to say Collins, um, just because of defensive upside, and you figure you know if you can play him at the five, that's huge because he could be a stretch five. I don't think Markkinen can be a stretch five. So right now I'm going to take Collins, but I think you'll end up being I think you'll end up being really close. Yeah, I I think the answer to the question of like which of these cores would you take for the next three or five years is going to end up being answered by the lottery. Like whichever of those teams, yeah. if it's one of those two teams that we're talking about that gets Zion, that I think that like breaks a tie, obviously. Right. Um. But even if like let's say Cleveland picks first and gets Zion, like to me they're still behind enough that I would like. Zion oh, plus yeah. Jetty Osman plus Larry Nance to me is not <laughs> plus Colin Sexton. Yeah, plus who I mean that's a whole different story. That is. Like to me, that's still below, you know, Phoenix plus RJ Barrett or Chicago plus RJ Barrett, um, or John Morant in that case. Like even if Phoenix gets Morant, like this core plus a really, really high upside point guard prospect, I think makes them uh extremely, extremely interesting. Um I don't know if you saw this, you you did mention Zach Levine. Evan Turner referred to him last night on Twitter as the beige MJ. Okay. I kind of like that. I, I don't I don't know. Does Levine really have a nickname yet? Um, I'm not sure if he... Basketball if he... reference has Young Hollywood. Uh, that maybe was more applicable when he was playing at UCLA. Hmm. I, I think we got to go with beige MJ. Yeah, for now. For now, at least. <laughs> um, okay. So looking back at at that 2018 draft, I'm just going to kind of jump around here. I have a that's, bunch of stuff on our spreadsheet. That's fine. Where does Aiton go if we redid that draft? In 2018? Um, that's a good question. So Doncic won, right? Yeah, Doncic goes one. So is there a question of who goes two, or is it Trey Young? I'm pretty sure it's Trey Young. And I would, I would actually argue that Marvin Bagley might go over DeAndre Aiton. What about Jaron Jackson? I think it's, it's crazy how this has fluctuated. Like, it's been Doncic at one basically since the season started. But if you would have if you would have asked for a redraft in like mid December, I think Jaron Jackson probably would have gone two, and Trey Young would have gone like eight. <laughs> people were, I mean, Jaron Jackson had a little bit of a run there. Like think oh, of when he, he when he banked in that game winning three, yeah. over LeBron. Like at that point, people were talking about him, even though the numbers weren't all that great. You know, the advanced numbers, his defensive potential. 
like people were people were talking about him as a future superstar and obviously the injury in Memphis kind of going in the tank put a little bit of a damper on that but it's it's kind of amazing how those how this exercise has kind of fluctuated month to month yeah it's kind of easy to forget what Jaron Jackson was doing partially because he I mean he the because he should be getting a ton of minutes right now in yes. Memphis he should be playing 35 minutes a right. game right now and then we get to see him probably average close to 20 and 10 being three stuff like that but we're not seeing it so he's kind of the 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 hard guy to judge but I think you know Aiton I think more broadly maybe to answer quite a question I think Aiton could slip to five um but behind Doncic Young Bagley Jaron Jackson um, and that's not necessarily a knock on DeAndre Ayton because I think there were some questions about DeAndre Ayton's, you know, defense anyway. And his, is, is he playing a position of need anymore in the NBA, kind of this rim running center? And, you know, from what I've seen of Bagley, I mean, Bagley's maybe, you know, Bagley and Trey Young have impressed me the most and maybe Bagley even more just because I, I was not, I watched his college highlights. I was not really impressed. He didn't project as, you know, a guy that was going to hit threes really well. Mm-hmm. Um, is he a four or a five? In my opinion, he's undoubtedly a five at this point. Like I saw him grab a rebound, go coast to coast. If that's your five and he's also blocking right. shots, like that's crazy. Yeah. Bagley's been really impressive. Um, I mean, I don't, I, he was one of those guys I was kind of ready for anything. I mean, not, sure. I think he's been better than I expected. I was kind of worried that what happened over the first like 25, 30 games of the year when he was playing like 12 minutes a night behind the Manya Bielitsa, like I thought that would just continue the whole year and it would be classic Kings. And we look back and say, we don't really know what this guy is because they've been so incompetent, but that hasn't been the case at all. And then he was, you talk about another guy like Jaron Jackson, if you know, if Bagley didn't get hurt in that game against the Bucks a couple of weeks ago, I mean, he was starting to play 31, 32, 33 minutes. And that's when the Kings were really hitting their stride and starting to look like a playoff team. And, and now that's looking a little bit more unlikely. But, I mean, this is a draft that when we talked about it back in May and June, you know, it was a little bit top-heavy. You know, everybody liked Aiton uh, and Doncic for the most part. Um, and then, it, you know, after after Bagley and Jackson, you started getting into guys like, you know, Trey Young at the time, Mobamba still, Sexton still, who are extremely iffy. And you can even, you know, you can say that about Kevin Knox, you know, and, and the, the Clippers guys. Right almost everybody and and I said this to James last week like almost everybody in that draft you know you at least still have quite a bit of optimism about right like even Colin Sexton for as bad as he looked at the beginning of the year not that many rookies come in and average 15 points a game you know he's not doing much else but he's at least a 15 point a game guy on 40 percent shooting but he's he's still doing that as well 38 percent from three right I mean I wasn't expecting that right like you look at like think of how how people valued somebody like Brandon Jennings after his rookie year yeah like you look at his percentages. I mean, he was 37% from the field as a rookie and almost one rookie of the year. And he averaged 15.5 points per game. Granted, right. he was a much better passer. He had a little bit more of a flair for the dramatic, I think, than, than Colin Sexton. But there's nobody in this lottery that you're looking back and thinking like, wow, that was a terrible pick. I mean, I do. I think this will go down as one of the better drafts yeah. in a long time. I mean, you got a lot. I mean, we just talked about five guys who are basically already can't miss. Right. We are missing. We're basically missing data for Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter. Yeah. Um. I'm pretty high on Wendell Carter. Bamba didn't look NBA ready, but that could change. Kevin Knox is like 18 years old, basically. Yeah. Like you know, for all his faults, he's not shooting very well. But I think you can see the upside there. Um. We talked about Bridges already. Yeah. I mean, I even like Miles Bridges. Um. Michael Porter hasn't played basketball yet. Right. I feel like I'm still pretty high on him. 
like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I saw him do a windmill over Isaiah Thomas in practice yesterday. That was <laughs> like he's like he's a great unknown. You know, like we have I don't know where he fits back into this team at some point, but the fact that he has not seemingly suffered any setbacks, um, I like that feels like a win to me. Like nobody expected him to be on the court this year, and he hasn't, so that's not a disappointment. No, and we've seen guys even farther down the list. Kevin Herter mm-hmm. is making things happen in, in Atlanta. Josh Koji for uh you know for minnesota landry shamit i got nowhere i had no idea who landry shamit was at i mean he's i know you don't follow college basketball like he's a really interesting case to me because this is not who he was in college at all he was a like game manager point guard type you know he was not running baseline to baseline chucking five threes a game at all he was a you know i'm just kind of a steady you know you're you're almost your quintessential college point guard so like for me to see how he was able to transform from primary ball handler setting other guys up to basically jj reddick you know 2.0 is crazy and you know the fact that wichita state as a side note has put out two really really good point guards with him and van vliet over these last few years is is insane but what's kind of ironic about this year's draft and then looking at 2017 is 2017 was probably the most hyped draft in in a while i would say since Eh, I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, I guess, off the top of your head. But that was a draft that everyone was comparing to 96. You know, the, the Kobe, Ray Allen. I, I always think of it as the Sharif Abdurrahim draft. But how many of those guys now who we thought were complete locks at this time last year are looking a lot, you know, sketchier in terms of what they're going to be long term? I mean, obviously, it starts at the top with Fultz, Lonzo Ball. Can't, I mean, I, I, nobody's really talked, to, talked about the fact that he now has, what, three, like, pretty severe ankle injuries in two years. He, boy, I, I'm not going to slap the injury prone tag on him, but it's coming soon if he yeah. if this happens again next year. Right. Uh, I, I think he's he hasn't played long enough for for him to really prove one way or the other. So he kind of still gets the benefit of the doubt. But like Markel Fultz, I mean, looking like maybe Eddie Curry level type of bust, Kwame Brown level type of does bust. Does he count though? I mean, he counts. You think with the shoulder thing? He's still a bust. I mean, he's I don't, think, bust, I don't yeah. think I don't think in ten years. I mean, think of the way people talk about Kwame Brown. Like he's going to be in that conversation. That's true. He will be. Yeah. yeah, and it sucks because everyone knows how good he was, but everyone also knows how good Kwame Brown was in high school, and <laughs> it just like nobody, nobody's like, hey man, Kwame was really good at going up against seventeen-year-olds. Josh Jackson not looking great. No. Um, Frank Nilkina, he was eight, That's, not looking yeah. great. Zach Collins you know good and small small sample sizes Malik Monk out of the rotation for a bad team yes Luke Kennard you know average player he's probably been about what you'd expect um but yeah I mean you know almost half of that lottery you're you're still pretty iffy on but at the same time you know guys like De'Aaron Fox Jason Tatum Laurie Markkinen and obviously Donovan Mitchell are are turning out to be really good players right there's some I mean this is this is a draft where there are just some like really bad whiffs and mm-hmm. i think that's what stands out obviously there like there's gonna be good players in every draft but you talk about like i mean justin jackson at 15 you have justin Patton. he's been hurt tj wilson <laughs> at 17 although that's weirdly looking good yeah tj leafs in there you know tyler lyden um tyler orlando Lydon. orlando drafted some guy whose name i can't pronounce um anjez mm. oh wow i'm gonna need the anjez Pasechniks? Um, Pasechniks? Yeah. yeah. So just, I don't even know. I don't I don't remember that happening. I probably blacked out. Um, but yes, there were, there were definitely some whiffs. But I mean, you got, I mean, Jonathan Isaac's been looking better, but it was hyped. I mean, it was hyped for a good reason. Right. Yeah, it's just, I think that draft was overhyped. This draft was underhyped. And they're probably going to end up producing like similar value players 
uh, but when it's all said and done. Okay, a couple quick things, and then we'll wrap up. What is your trust level in the Milwaukee Bucks? Pretty high. Um, so what, what is the expectation now? What is considered a failure? Not the conference finals. Okay, if it, so losing in the conference finals is okay, but not getting to the conference finals is a failure? Exactly. Okay. I think I think that just makes sense. I mean, they're they are, you know, by like net rating, undisputedly the best team in the league. Take that for what it's worth. Um, but you know, they have a guy who is a top three player by anyone's stretch of the imagination. I mean, top, he's gonna finish top three in MVP ballgame without a doubt. Yes. Um, and one of the best coaches in the league, uh, and just uh, a system that makes sense. You know, they they create they're gonna the talent that they've acquired too is gonna create matchup problems they can line up a lot of different ways if a team goes small they can go Giannis or Miritich at center if another team goes bigger like if Toronto decides hey we're gonna overload put Ibaka and Marcus all in the game you know the Bucks can throw in um Brooke Lopez and Giannis and Miritich and counter that so I think their ability to go to look at a lot of different ways and um you know just having the best player on the court in every series Mm -hmm. just makes it feel like yeah if you can't get to the conference finals then it's kind of a failure is there a specific opponent like let's say they get to the conference finals and play like lose to toronto like to me that feels fine you know respectable i think there'd be a lot of disappointment but it would you know you you'd kind of tip your cap to toronto if they lose to boston boston would be the worst loss right that's the one where yeah although yeah in that scenario boston will have beaten you know one of toronto and philly on the way there and right. they would be looking like a much different team uh, I don't know. It's tough. I, I get asked a lot more Bucks questions by friends and relatives even. My mom asked about the Bucks the other day for the first time ever. This right. is the same <laughs> woman who recently asked me for info on Aaron Rodgers' girlfriend, Danica Fitzpatrick. So oh, we're wow. talking about someone who has no no interest level in the Bucks whatsoever, but they've been good enough that they have piqued uh, Annie Whalen's interest. Yes. Um, so Boston won without Kyrie last night in Sacramento. Uh, hard-fought game, but n- n- no Kyrie Irving. Obviously, Terry Rozier filled in. They absolutely murdered Golden State two nights ago yeah. in Oakland. Wire-to-wire win, really never in doubt whatsoever. Does this change your opinion on Boston whatsoever? No. I really don't think so. I, You know, the, the Boston-Golden State game um, was, to me, I think I was talking about it with Joe, I think, on the on the Tuesday pod just being like this game means so much for boston yes and it means nothing for golden state right golden that's every regular season game of the past five years for golden state right and so the fact that they like got blown out it doesn't like it it means a lot for boston and i just don't but i don't think you know golden state put the level of importance on the game even remotely close that that boston did and maybe that was the you know kind of the driving factor there um but yeah i mean winning you know, beating Sacramento minus Kyrie Irving is is not necessarily some huge accomplishment to me. Like it's it's a good win, but they they have a lot of good wins on the season. They're a good team. They're mm-hmm. disappointing, but they're good. Right. They're forty I, and twenty six. No, <laughs> they're exactly. good. <laughs> I I think that game like the big takeaway was it's a confidence builder for Gordon Hayward. You know, he's not. I, yeah. I don't think that was the game that all of a sudden he's just he's just back to being Gordon Hayward now. Um, but that was the best he's played by far this year um, on both ends. He was he was active defensively. He was shooting the ball much better than he shot it. So I guess for him to to get that confidence back like that that to me is the bigger takeaway than you know Boston's performance as a team. But if you do want to go in that direction, they were down I think twenty five at the half. Golden State. 
and you and I have watched a lot of Warriors games. Like, it's not over. It's never really over, especially <laughs> when they're at home. And, like, I kind of thought, okay, they'll at least make a run here. And they did. They got it down to, I think, 17 pretty quickly in the third quarter. So, for to me, the fact that Boston roared back and ended up getting the, you know, they ended up building a lead close to 30, you know, by the end of the third. And, you know, I don't even think Steph played in the fourth. Um, like, that that to me, that that mini victory of, okay, we withstood this Golden State run, you know, both in the first quarter and in the in the third quarter when they jumped out to big leads um that to me is kind of the the game within the game that you can take away but boston has had so many bad performances that i don't think you can just wash it all the way with a game like that um but i mean if you watch Kyrie's demeanor in that game it was night and day than than what it's been for the last month yeah and i mean that's i mean maybe you know Kyrie realizes you know through all of this all the I guess drama maybe is the word that if he underperforms in the playoffs that's going to really negatively affect his does he have a legacy I guess he has a legacy legacy. yeah yeah Um, as much of a legacy as like a 25 year old point guard can have right I mean he's hit some of the big shots NBA finals so I I suppose he has a legacy and yeah if he if he you know if they get bounced out of the first round that's a really bad look for Mm -hmm. him so maybe he'll you know maybe he'll kind of turn things around for the playoffs in in that kind of respect but yeah i mean there's they're still a good team it'll be interesting to see what happens nothing that they do they could lose or win every game the rest of the way and <laughs> like it really wouldn't change how i'd feel about them in the playoffs i mean i think the same can kind of be said for philly i mean they they went what 17 and 0 in their last like they closed the season i think on a 17-0 win streak was that last year yeah they yeah. did and it, it didn't really change my opinion you know like i, I think obviously it'll impact seeding it'll impact you know the the general perception of that team but the bucks saw this team last year you know if that's who they end up meeting in, in round two or round three i don't think they're going to take them any any lighter than they would have um you know just based on record alone so adam silver sat down with bill simmons who is a popular podcast man in the sports world this was at the sloan conference last week in boston i believe and this conversation is now has now been made like semi-public. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Uh, I, I'm yeah. told, like, I don't think it was actually like an on-the-record conversation, uh, but I think certain certain pieces have been published or made publicly available, and other quotes have kind of been, you know, some people have been able to basically listen to the conversation and have told, been told, Here, here's what you can report. At least that's my takeaway. Uh, but I highlighted a couple things from Brian Windhorst's article on ESPN this morning that kind of just was basically a primer of like, here's what was said in this conversation. And these are the three points that that stuck out to me the most. So one of which was Adam Silver being pretty candid about the the last few CBAs and how, you know, owners really wanted to cut down on contract length, you know, getting rid of the deals you used to see in the 90s of, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 year deals, hockey type of contracts. Those are obviously no longer, you know, now it's, you know, a four year deal is kind of considered a long term commitment. Um and basically, Adam Silver somewhat, you know, admitted that that maybe has has caused some issues that they didn't think it would um, in terms of players now just kind of being able to control where they go. And, you know, your a four-year contract basically means that you're really only con- under contract for two years. Then you can kind of use your third year as leverage. And then in your fourth year, you know, you're basically not under contract. You're viewed as, as this expiring. Um, and that's when you can really control your fate. And we've seen player after player use that to their advantage and i think now it's become even more you know even more salient as guys like anthony davis and paul george start to do this like the year before their contract is actually up um so i just i just thought that was interesting you know one that adam silver would admit that and 
two to kind of look at the next CBA that's on the horizon. Like, do you think that now we start going back to a system that maybe allows for longer term deals? I think it's on the table. I mean, you know, it, it seems like the, I mean, one of the main priorities of the NBA or of Adam Silver was to, you know, have star players like, or at least star players in small markets stay there. And that is increasingly difficult when you have star players in small markets on short deals because it's more difficult for small market teams to acquire free agents. And it, they need to, small market teams need to take so much more of a long term approach to things, um, you know, when it comes to team building that, you know, it, you ideally you would want the star player there for like five years locked in so that the team, you know, could, that they could get other draft picks around them, make some trades, have some time to breathe. But I think, yeah, maybe we could start seeing the, the emergence of long deals, but then you also have to, you know, wonder what that does because you, you get into situations again, like I want to bring up the John Wall con, maybe the John Wall contract as an example. I could bleep this out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you, you know, give someone like that, like a six or seven year deal and like max deal, right. and then either they get hurt or they just really underperform and you're stuck with that and it right. can tank your fran you could tank your franchise for multiple years right well i just clearly there's no person there's, there's no perfect solution you know when contracts were allowed to go beyond four or five years there was a reason that they shortened them up and if you go back to that system there are going to be people who want it to go back to the current system right. uh but something that windhorse noted um you know he says and i'm quoting um and he's talking about making contracts shorter that was meant to protect teams from bad deals and protect players from getting stuck being underpaid, which are both really good points. Yep. Um, and you can't really have it both ways, I guess. You know, like you said, if you like, it's bad enough to sign Jan Mahimi to a four-year, seventy-two million dollar <laughs> deal, but what if you sign him to a six-year, hundred and twelve million dollar yes. deal? Like that's even worse. And on the same token, you know, if you have if you have a player who's somebody that's been on a really team-friendly deal, Steph Curry, you know, let's say that. Sure. You know, instead of being on what was he four for forty-four, um, the post-ankle injury contract, like. What if you would have signed him to an eight for eighty-eight? You know, like you're you're getting one. It's it's putting that team really at, at kind of an unfair advantage. You know, having a player like that who's yeah. playing, who's kind of forced to play at wildly less than his market value for not one or two years, like in Curry's case, but like five or six years. Yeah. Um, and then it's unfair to the player, you know, who's you know not able to renegotiate until that long contract is up. So, I don't know. You know, maybe maybe the solution is more. You know, you have multiple option years, you know, on these longer contracts. I just, I don't, I don't know that there's a perfect solution that's just going to stop players from demanding to get out of their deals. That's kind of what it seems like this is about more than anything is players having a little too much control, which I don't think the NBA is necessarily against. Um, but I think it started to kind of creep into the public perception of the league. Yeah, everyone knows that players can just demand trades all the time, right. you know, a year and or like half a year before their contract is up. It's just, it really just isn't a good look um, necessarily for the league. Like I'm not opposed to player movement. Like I, I personally, I love player movement. Like, you know, right. Um, I, I think it makes the game interesting is what separates a lot of it from like college basketball. Right. But yeah, at the same time, you don't want that in the air all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if you follow Carter Rodriguez on Twitter. He's a, he's a Cavs guy. He's actually been on this podcast before, but he, he kind of tweeted something last night that was that was in response to this or something regarding this basically 
And his point was that the Warriors are partially responsible for how much player movement there is. And I, oh. I think I agree with that in some ways because I think he was talking more about like the general unhappiness, you know, that, that Adam Silver also hinted at. That was kind of the big headline from this, this interview um, was, you know, Adam Silver kind of suggesting that even though players are making $200 million, they're still not happy. They're right. still wanting to switch around situations. You know, they can't settle anywhere. I really do think the Warriors are part of that. And my, my rationale behind that is when, when one team is so strong that in order to even have somewhat of a chance to contend, you have to get two or three all-stars on a team. It makes it really hard to be Damian Lillard or be right. Kyrie Irving in, you know, in, in Cleveland. Um, you can't, you know, I don't think your team would basically be a contender in any other era, but to look at it and say, I have to go play with one of my all-star buddies, one of my yeah. team USA friends, or we're not going to have any sort of chance. I think that's kind of part of the motivation. Anthony Davis is another one. And obviously it's not like the Pelicans have been knocking on the door in the Western conference by any means, but you know, anyone who follows basketball can look at that roster and say, as great as Anthony Davis is, as good as Drew Holiday is, as, as good as, you know, Miritich and Randall, when they were on that team are, they're not beating the Warriors. That's what it always comes down to when you're talking about any contender for the last five years. Are they good enough to beat the Warriors? The answer has been a resounding no. Um, so I, I do think that if and when the Warriors eventually are no longer the Warriors, that will have, you know, it, it'll at least kind of give the air to the rest of the league to say, okay, I, I think things are a little more open now. Players might be a little more open to being more patient when there's this feeling that, you know, there are maybe 10 or 12 teams that could win the title instead of two or three. Yeah, I mean, it's re- it's just not enough anymore to have one legitimate Hall of Fame player on your right. team. Like, Allen Iverson got to the NBA Finals. Can you imagine a player of Allen Iverson's caliber Allen getting Iverson, to the NBA, NBA Finals? Allen Iverson, Mutombo, Aaron McKee, right. Eric Snow. Like, Todd McCullough was playing big minutes in that Finals. Like, even that Mavs team that, that beat the Heat, I mean, yeah. I don't know if a Dirk, Tyson Chandler, Deshaun Stevenson, Jason Terry Mavs team is holding a candle to this Warriors team. Like, they don't, they don't make it out of the West. No. And that was, I mean, that was like the Heat's basically their, you know, their, their starting out year. And it's an that was really beginning of the super team era. Yeah. Right. Oh, you completely, yeah, completely inexplicable. But you just, a Hall of Famer doesn't guarantee right. you getting to the NBA Finals even more. I mean, the, you know, you have the, the, the Rockets might be able to do it mm-hmm. with James Harden, but he also has two other all star caliber right. players on his team, Clint Capella and Chris Paul. And, you know, the Bucks have, you know, Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, but even that, right. That's theoretically a little weak, and people oh, yeah. worry about that. But the reason, you know, they have all they also have a Hall of Fame coach, <laughs> right? So that's different. Too. But think of how much differently you would view this Bucks season, or if you're a Raptors fan, or even a Sixers or a Celtics fan. Like, how much different would your mindset be going into the playoffs if the Warriors were? Let's just take the Warriors out of it. They're, let's just say they're an average team. They're you know they're going to finish forty one and forty one. They'll be the seven seed. You know, don't worry about who's on their roster. Let's say the Denver Nuggets are the best team in the West. You would feel really, really, really good yes, about the would. Bucks winning the finals, wouldn't you? Yeah. But they're still like as great as the the Bucks are going to win maybe 62, 63 games. They're going to be the best team in the league going into the playoffs. I personally will still be shocked if they if they get to the finals and win a game. But, I I don't think that's going to happen. I and that speaks to how good the Warriors are. I mean, I think they will, but I can understand. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they didn't win a game. I'd be maybe it would. I think they the, could take one game, but. The Warriors continue to remind us like how good they are in the finals. Like they use the regular season to like tamper expectations, I think. Like they this team has DeMarcus Cousins, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. The the Bucks second best player 
is shooting like 35% since the All-Star break. Yeah, I mean, the, maybe it's the addition of DeMarcus Cousins that I'm underrating because we saw LeBron's Cavs team almost beat, you know, the Warriors in a game last year, and I would argue this Bucks team's better than that team. Um, oh, for sure. So, but yeah, the addition but, of DeMarcus Cousins, it, he's been playing really well, um, you know, defensively, mm-hmm. still kind of an issue, but yeah, it's... Yeah, the Warriors are ridiculous. Right. right. My overall point is that I think once the Warriors are no longer the Warriors, they're, a cloud will be lifted over the rest of the league. And <laughs> right. I, I really I do think stars will be a little more amiable to sticking around, trying to build where they are. Like, you know, does, does Chris Paul leave the Clippers if the Warriors aren't the Warriors? Does he feel like he needs to go team up with James Harden? Right. And obviously that's not, you know, the Clippers had other issues, you know, internally that, that led to that. But I think guys in that type of situation will be a little more willing, you know, to to kind of build a team in the more traditional way of, you know, building continuity, you know, kind of climbing the ladder through the playoffs instead of just trying to throw a bunch of guys together. Hopefully that's the magical combination. Basically what Philly's done, you know, like Philly's team building is in response to the Warriors. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You can argue that like a this, you can, you could argue that the, the part of the tanking mentality was because of the Warriors. Oh, of course. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh, we have no chance, you know, because there's only three right. teams that can, compete at all and you know one of them is going to like going to yes. win um that we might as well just wait this thing out get as many assets as possible mm-hmm. we can trade our best players to teams who think they can win the title and right. get back their young players in return exactly kind of wait it out i don't think it's changed anything for like the phoenixes and the knicks of the world well no you know they because they're, they're bad are, they're, yeah they're bad. but i think it's the teams that go into a year and say okay do we want to make a run for this or do we want to fall back you know there's five or six teams that are in that position just about every year and you know i think a team like washington is a good example not that they were going to really be a contender going in but those teams on the borderline that look up and say look even if every single player on our team stays completely healthy and has their best season we still don't have a chance like that to me is is kind of what what hangs over these teams right now yeah i mean because what was washington's best case scenario the five seed the four seed i mean you could make a reasonable case that like they could be this year's indiana if everything broke right if john wall bounced back i mean beals had a crazy year um, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, the other two two points from that Adam Silver interview, one, um, he used a, one, a great quote that I'd never heard before, but I love. He said, uh, the changes to the All-Star game were, quote, like putting an earring on the pig, mm. which is, again, fantastic. Uh, but he also, and you know, I think, which is a much bigger point, said that he might want to scrap the All-Star weekend in the future to make room for a midseason tournament. That's something that's, that's a been lot. that's something that's been like stewing underground for a long time. This, this idea of a midseason tournament <clears throat> to hear the commissioner actually acknowledge and you know not say oh we're we've heard that, but to say yeah we might want to do that. That to me is kind of crazy. Like, you don't you don't just say something like that unless you've had pretty serious discussions. Yeah, that's a really dramatic move because All Star Weekend has been one of the staples of the NBA for right. like as long as I can remember. I mean, you got images of Dr. J in the dunk contest, like images of Gerald Green in the dunk contest. Gerald Green blowing out the right. cupcake, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would, it would. I think it would feel weird without All Star Weekend. Um, you still have to have a break at some point, right? Like to me, I think the bigger issue would be like, what happens to this week and a half of rest? Oh yeah, yeah, that's you, weird. You're just too. gonna play a tournament in, during that time instead of getting a day off. We're actually gonna make you play more. games. We're gonna play. Yeah, we're, you're gonna play a hundred. Everyone's playing a hundred yeah, games, right? Um, so I think you'd have to find a way to, you know, you'd maybe have to give like three days off on either end of this tournament. Is everybody playing in the tournament? I don't. Know. I mean, there's a lot of questions you'd have to settle here. I I want to. I need to hear the full details of how this tournament works because yeah. this is. I'm I'm okay with the idea of changing All Star Weekend or sure. just you know just to make it different. Um, but 
having guys play more games during that time is the is is also the exact opposite of what everybody has been talking about. It's like, well, the season probably shouldn't be 82 games long. That's probably too many games. You know, if we want these players on the floor, it might make sense to play like 65 or whatever. And they're like, well, we're never going to do that. But then like adding more games. Right. Like, I, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have, you know, any more points or, or solution to what, you know, how this should be done. I just thought it was interesting that, that he acknowledged that. Um, and the last thing was talking about market size imbalance between big markets and small markets. This kind of ties in with, with the first point as well. Um, but you know, he, he basically acknowledged, you know, we've, I wouldn't say failed, you know, to, to protect small markets like we thought, but this, this also goes back to the supermax and how that has in some cases worked Russell Westbrook, uh, James Harden in other cases, not worked whatsoever. And, you know, teams essentially have have it's too big of a financial commitment i think to players who are maybe eligible for it but shouldn't be eligible because they're not quite that good right. um and it creates an issue where the team virtually has to offer it or it's viewed as their lowballing you know their star player who is probably not worth that kind of money yeah that's it, it's a problem yeah because it's you know if you don't want to pay i'm trying to think of a great example was it jimmy well, butler's paul, one jimmy butler paul george DeMarcus was cousin get the supermax it's like uh, he would have been t- I don't know if he was eligible be- given the injury and all that. Oh. Um but he would yeah, he's one of those type of players at the time. Right. Like now you now look the, the Paul George that we know right now, of course you'd get that guy of to Supermax. But at the time it's it's a question and yeah, I mean, you don't want to yeah, you I mean when you see I mean maybe it's only an issue in this Golden State Warriors super team era where it's like well, if we sign this guy to a Supermax then we're not going to be able to have other top end talent, right? You know, well, because part of the deal with signing that guy is he probably says, "I'll sign the supermax, but you have to get me guys," which means going right. deep into the luxury tax. And the and the, really the overall point that Silver was making was teams now have to choose. Some teams, you know, given how deep their pockets are in ownership, have to choose between financial viability and contending. Right. You know, contending is now synonymous with being in the luxury tax. Yeah, yeah. As of right now, right. And, and if you want to be a multi-year contender, we're talking repeater tags. Yeah, and maybe that will change. One, you know, if teams go back to, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe with all this, Adam Silver's just trying to, yeah, get rid of this super team effect. And like, okay, you have two. Every team should have like one or two all stars, or every team, right. you know, the teams that make it to the finals shouldn't have four Hall of Famers on it. Um, right. And so maybe he thinks that you know some of this stuff will be the way to 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 balance things out again, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's. I mean, all these are obviously really tough calls, um, and so yeah, next next CBA could look. I mean, could look dramatically different. Yeah, I think, I think given what's happened over the last like four to five years, especially, um, there's going to be quite. I mean, and we haven't even touched on the draft stuff, which you know, lowering the age limit. Right. I think is probably the most like public facing thing that's going to be changing, and that that seems like almost a layup at this point that that'll be done. Yeah. All right, uh, I think we can wrap this up. Do you have anything else as we head into the weekend? No. We are, we are required legally to say that we are presented by FanDuel. Play on FanDuel. You and I, I've actually gone on FanDuel like three times this week already. Um, I'm down, I believe, $4, but up $14 over the last few weeks. 